As an original member of Charlie Dayton's PR media relations staff, Bruce Spate remembers long hours, lots of work, but in a uniquely collaborative atmosphere. When Charlie gave us a task, we worked out of Winthrop University, out of Winthrop Coliseum. We just worked. We just grinded. And we enjoyed it, and we had a lot of fun. Like many in media relations, Bruce Spate is a rememberer, and he has some great stories to share next on the podcast. 25 seasons of Panthers football, a celebration of the players, coaches, and other people who have contributed to the organizational success. Now to Mick Mixon. We are privileged to have as our guest on the podcast now as we celebrate, as the big boy said, 25 years of Carolina Panther football, the incomparable Bruce Spate, S-P-E-I-G-H-T, legendary media relations guru here with the Panthers in the early days, a.k.a. Bobo. How'd you get that nickname, Bobo? I got it from you, Bo. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell that story later in the podcast. Yes. You go from Howard University, graduate 1990, to then joining the Panther staff. How many years after that? Uh, five years after that. What did you do in the interim? Uh, when I came out of Howard University, um, I was doing the term paper uh, my senior year for a class and um, always wanted to be involved in sports. And um, I asked the uh, – I was doing a term paper on minorities in sports, and I called the Washington Redskins. At the time, Bobby Mitchell, who was the first African-American player ever to play for the Redskins, um, was the assistant general manager. And I just cold called him and asked him what he talked to me for my term paper. Went out to Redskins Park. I was a big-time Redskins fan. Growing up, went to every parade when they won the Super Bowl. Um, weeks were long when they lost. And – couldn't believe I was going to Redskins Park. I sat down with Bobby Mitchell. He talked to me for my paper. And um, I was kind of contained myself because I'm like, there's Joe Gibbs. There's different guys, like, walking through the lobby. And at the end of the um, time when he talked about, my ter- talked about my term paper, I asked him, I said, I don't know how all this stuff works, but y'all have internships or something? And he took me down and introduced me to Charlie Dayton. And that's oh, yeah. the first time I met Charlie. And um, he was the vice president of communications for the Redskins at the time. And then that was before computers and Twitter and social media and all that stuff. Typed up my resume. He said, send me a resume and a cover letter. Typed it up, mailed it in, or maybe faxed it in. I think a fax machine was around at that time. And Charlie gave me a uh, training camp internship in 1990 with the Washington Redskins. Uh, Joe Gibbs was the head coach. Mark Rippin was the quarterback. Uh, Todd Bowles was a safety on that team. So, yep. Then I went to uh, graduate school for sports administration at Ohio University. Um, after that, worked at Hoop It Up, three-on-three uh, basketball company. Then Hoop It Up and NFL aired out for a couple of years. Then Charlie left the Redskins, came to the Panthers, and asked that I want to join them, and that's how I ended up here in 95. From where in your background, Bruce, does your work ethic come? My parents, um, you know, my mom, uh, she was an organist for our, ch- and still is an organist for our church for over uh, 30 years, and she was an elementary music school teacher. And my dad worked in public school education. He was a uh, um, a teacher and a vice principal. But I, it was funny, I remember my dad, he never carried a briefcase. He organized his stuff, all his work, all his files in a brown box and he would bring it back and forth to work. And I remember as a child and looking at that, that kind of taught me the lesson is it's not about the style, it's about the substance. And that's something that I, you know, always tried to carry forth. 
pretty squared away, it sounds like. Yeah. So so you joined Charlie Dayton's staff. The Panthers have just gotten an NFL team. The region is alive with excitement. What was it like in those early days trying to put a staff together and do your work? Man, that was um incredible amount of fun. Um, one thing about it is Charlie hired everybody on Charles, Charlie's staff. It was myself, it was um, Lexant, and it was uh, D.D. Mills. For us, it was all our first full-time season in the NFL. None of us had any experience at all. So I think it almost um, worked out better because we had no expectations. We didn't have a baseline for how much work it would require. So when Charlie gave us a task, we worked out of Wrentham University, out of Wrentham Coliseum. We just worked. We just grinded. Mm -hmm. And we enjoyed it, and we had a lot of fun. Me and Lex, we shared the same office. Um, our desks faced each other. So every conversation I had, he heard. Every conversation he had, I heard. Um, we were both dating women at the time that would eventually become our wives. So we got to know each other. Lex and I got to know each other very, very well. And I remember, you know, when they started, uh, we had to come up with credentials, and Charlie brought me a box of credentials. And he said, here's credentials from all the other teams in the NFL. Figure out how we're going to do our credentialing plan, okay? We went into his office one day, and he sat down and put a, uh, a pad of paper on a, like a, a yellow, you know, steno pad, and he drew a line down the middle. And he said, credentials, who wants these? And then I was like, I'll take those. Lex said game program. And he would just write down in pencil who was doing exactly what. So it was a very old school approach. But, you know, we worked the credit, worked incredibly hard, but didn't know any different. Didn't have anything to compare it to and, you know, had a lot of fun. And it's funny because we always think about at that time, like, hey, we're just starting this team. And I wonder what it's going to be like when you have a whole generation of people to kind of grow up looking back and saying, wow, we grew up Panthers fans. And we just had the kind of special opportunity to be in, be in it from the ground floor. Bruce Spate, our guest on the podcast. We're talking with Bruce from the Charlie Dayton Press Box, the Langtonian Institute of Broadcasting Studios. Charlie's been a guest on this podcast. What did you learn from him, Bo? What I learned from Charlie is, shoot, I, I, I couldn't, I still can't calculate all the lessons that I learned from him or put them in perspective. But one thing I learned from Charlie, he was always the same person. Um, whether the team was going well or, you know, you know, whether we were facing challenges, he was the same person every day. Always had a uh, very even keel about himself, um, was very approachable and very selfless. Always put others above himself. Um, always put the organization first and um, incredibly smart, but in a very humble kind of manner. Um, you brought a problem, you know, people would bring all type of challenges and problems to Charlie. And sometimes it felt like he had the weight of the world on his shoulders, but you could never see it. You could never see it. Charlie held and holds Mr. Richardson in high regard and has spoken eloquently about that what was your relationship like with Mr. Richardson um I would say Charlie Dayton and Mr. Richardson probably had from an NFL you know my career from an NFL standpoint they probably had the most um significant impact on me Mr. Richardson invested you know countless hours um 
in me personally um, and professionally. Um, knows my wife. Uh, knows my uh, knows my two daughters. Uh, my wife Angel and my two daughters uh, Bailey and Braden. Um, when he was making key decisions in in the franchise, you know, history, it was not uncommon for him to stop by the desk and kind of, hey, come on down, I want you to see this, and just expose me to it and talk me through the different things that he was going through in his head as he made a decision and why he made um, different decisions. Um, from a career standpoint, um, you know, I was here for 12 years and I went to work for the Jets. Instrumental part of me getting the job um, with the Jets was just Mr. Richardson speaking on my behalf to Mr. Uh, Mr. Woody Johnson at the Jets. So um, how he built uh, the team, why he sat in the end zone, because as a player, he wanted he was used to seeing it from an X's and O's and a game film perspective. So that's why he wanted his suite um, in the end zone. Um, just um, all those different lessons um, that he taught me walking through the office, you know, who wants barbecue? We'd go down and sit at Arts, sit down at Arts Barbecue and he'd want to know from all levels of the organization, not just the people that reported directly to him um, what was going on um, with the team and, and how we could work and, and how we could get better. So I just can't say enough about how much he invested in me personally. One of the first things new employees heard back in the, those days working with Mr. Richardson is, number one, you don't call him Jerry. You call him Mr. Richardson. Mm-hmm. And then if he comes down to your office, even if it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon or 1230 or whatever, and asks if you've had lunch, you say no, even if you just ate a full-on sirloin steak <laughs> and a pot roast because you were going to be going to lunch with him. Well, for me, I would always say if I had lunch, I would tell him yes, but I'm always, but I was a younger guy then, so I was like, you know, yes, but I'm always down for more, especially yeah. when it came to Arch Barbecue. <laughs> Could eat again. That's fantastic. <laughs> Bruce Spade, our guest on the podcast, one of the originals from uh, back the media relations era. And what do you? What are some of your favorite people, memories, games, characters from back in those days, Bruce? All-time favorite player, um, Sam Mills. Just different in terms of his leadership, his uh, humility. Um, I remember the day that he came here from the Saints and he came on his free agent visit um, and he eventually signed that night, but he sat in my office and he kind of talked to me about why he was going to sign with the Panthers. And he was like, Bruce, the money from both places is the same, um, but I'm wanted here. I'm wanted here. And I felt like I can come here and, and I can make a difference. And and I like it because it's, nobody can say – I left for the money, or I can say anything else. They can say I left, everything was equal, and I left and I wanted to be here um, in Carolina. His ability to lead men, you know, uh, I remember on the January, it was, you know, late January. I think we weren't in the playoffs at that particular time, where it was maybe in February, and he was the only one in the weight room running on the treadmill. And I said, Sam, you know, when do you take a break? And he said, Bruce, at my age, you got you can't you got to stay in shape. You can't get out of shape, and you got to keep running. And he said, I said, well, what do you think about when you run on the treadmill? And he said, I think about all the other inside linebackers in the NFL, and I think about the fact that they're running. I think about Jesse Tuggle of the Falcons. He's running somewhere. I think about 
I don't know who the other. I can't remember who the other. Ken Norton. Mm-hmm. Ken Norton somewhere running. Yeah. And I can't lose ground. And I remember the story he told me about when he was. Um, and I've told this story to other undrafted rookies. He said when he was trying out for different teams and he was trying to make it into the league, um, somebody had told him it's going to be a day when we're at, when you're at training camp when all the other veterans are tired and nobody wants to practice. And you can feel that the team is a little down and a little, you know, exhausted. He said, those are your days that you rise to the occasion. Those are your days that you show that you can make a difference. Those are the days that you make your impact. And I remember whenever I, you know, maybe friend a particular rookie free agent or undrafted free agent, because Sam was an undrafted free agent. I tell them about that story that Sam Mills, I was like, there's going to come a time in training camp when you're tired and everybody's tired and nobody wants to do it. Those are the days that you can make your mark. Mm-hmm. Those are the days that you can separate yourself. Um, uh, Julius Peppers, phenomenal athlete. Steve Smith, phenomenal athlete. Remember one day at practice, um, Julius had run gassers with the defensive line, and uh, the um, skill positions asked him, challenged him, and said, "Can you keep up?" with us. And then after running gas with defensive line, he ran gassers at the pace that the skill position players ran. And then he came in the locker room. And I remember one day we were joking in the locker room and talking about if you had to start a 4 by 100 team on a 4 by 400 team, who are the four players you would want on your team? And inevitably Julius Pepper's name came up every time in terms of being on that um, relay team. Um, Steve Smith the competitiveness, you know, a lot of people look at Steve Smith now, but I remember when Steve was a returner, and he was drafted as a returner. He wasn't drafted as a wide receiver. And I think he had 10 catches his rookie year. And to watch him work and literally will himself into becoming one of the game's great wide receivers, his level of competitiveness, his fearlessness, 2005 going against the Chicago Bears' vaunted defense, and players were dropping left and right because of injuries. And everybody in, that, in, um, in Soldier's Field knew Steve Smith was getting the ball. And Steve Smith would get the ball, and he was still productive. Just incredible. And then the third story that kind of sticks out to me is um, we lost the Super Bowl um, to the Patriots. And during that game, um, John Casey had the unfortunate thing of uh, hitting that kickoff um, out of bounds, and the Patriots started their last drive at the 40-yard line that would have, you know, result in the uh, winning field goal. And I remember John Casey uh, standing at his locker after the game, full uniform, and addressing every media question until they were finished asking him questions at the game. And a couple of times, you know, typically in PR, if it's run a certain amount of time, you try to end the press conference. And I, I said, hey, we can stop now. He was like, Bruce, no. We're gonna, I'm going to be here and I'm going to answer every question until they're finished. You know, that's the least that I can do. And just that incredible display of um, accountability is something that I will, I will never forget. Bruce's roots go into PR, media relations. He's now back with the Panthers, August of 2018, returned to us as a manager, social engagement and alumni affairs. Have, have you enjoyed – uh, your new responsibilities back here, Bruce? Yep. Um, you know, for me, it's been a great opportunity. I, I work with uh, uh, Stephen Drummond and Ryan Anderson 
and uh, Preston Edwards and Maria Vanderford in PR. I work with Riley Fields and Jill Cole and Lenny Hudson and Aaron and Tripp and um, Cal and Heather and CR. And then I work with my old friend, good old friend, D. Monroe um, in Alumni Affairs. And, you know, it's just been great to be back and um, connecting with all the, you know, new friends and old friends. And I'm just thankful the Lord blessed me with this opportunity. You're like O positive blood. You're the universal donor on the second floor. You can you go anywhere and do anything. It's amazing what you do. Uh, Bo, one or two last questions for you, and then we'll tell how you got the nickname of Bobo, uh, Bruce Spade, our guest on the podcast. How how do you know? Because football, it's it's uh, it's not always smooth sailing. There are life intervenes. There are controversies. There are like Sam Mills when Sam Mills got sick. There are other things that happen uh, happen with the Jets and then with the Panthers. How do you know how to handle those and how to how to represent your organization to the media and vice versa in the way that you do um i think number one i had a great teacher um in charlie dayton and i think over the years you just encounter um every time something comes up every time a crisis situation comes up you know you inevitably have a pit in your stomach because not not for yourself but you want to be able to do what's right um for the organization and I think over time, as you see more, you know, see more things and encounter different um, challenges, the pit in your stomach lasts shorter and shorter, and you can kind of get to the point. And I think uh, for me personally, I always try to take the approach um, that we're going to be loyal to the truth, and then um, we're going to we're not going to do what's right for ourselves. We're going to, you know, you just kind of continue to try to focus on doing what's right for the organization. Um, so trying to keep those two thoughts in my mind um, and in the minds of the people that you're working with front and center. The great Bruce Spate on the podcast. All right, last thing. I've had to catch myself during this interview with you to call you by your proper name because it makes me want to call you just when I see you sitting there. I want to say, hey, Bobo, what about this? When did this happen? So how did you get that nickname? I think we got it one night. We were in a conversation, and um, it was me. You who was the who was the intern? Uh, Bo Round. Bo Round. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Brian? Yeah. Yeah. And Stephen Drummond was there. And Brian and Stephen Drummond, but I can't remember the specific conversation. And we said we were going to come up with a podcast. Let me tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We did before podcasts had even been invented. What happened was I remember I had agreed to host some tours of fans through the stadium. So. I'd only been working with you guys for a short period of time. And I came up the elevator, and I went into your office, and you're sitting there with, with Steven and, and uh, Bo Round, yeah. the rest of them. We didn't know we were going to call him that. You nicknamed <laughs> him that. And I said, I cannot stand to be called Bo. I said, this couple from Fayetteville just braced me up against the wall and said, hey, Bo, can you tell me why we drove all the way up here from Fayetteville and we didn't get Jake DeLume's autograph? I mean, call me anything but that. So then immediately you started calling me Bo. I did. I and did. you became like- Bobo. I was like, let me tell you something, Bo. <laughs> let me tell you something, Bo. I still think you got, you and Stephen Drummond should do that. That would kill. Let me tell you something, Bo. No, let me tell you something, Bo. Y'all had used to slug it out in the best possible way. Uh, Bruce, I appreciate you. It's an honor to work with you and have you on the podcast. And uh, welcome back home, and thanks for what you do for the Carolina Panthers. Oh, anything for you, Bo. <laughs> <laughs> we'll continue our historical perspective of the first quarter century of Panther football next time right here on the podcast.